people think that the president of the United States has the power for debt forgiveness. He does not. He can postpone. He can delay. But he does not have that power. That would has to be an act of Congress. Republicans seek to take control of the House of Representatives. Republicans are going to retake both the House and Senate. A liberal MSNBC host warning Democrats about the potential for a red wave. Do we have any sort of canary in the coal mine type indications of where we may be headed on that front? Fox News is calling the Virginia governor's race for Republican Glenn Youngkin. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. Welcome back to the Ruthless Variety program, fellas. It's nice to be back with you after a one-show hiatus. Well, it's great to see you, pal. I'm glad to be here. Uh, Thank you for holding it down. Well, I mean, there's a lot to talk about. I mean, the Biden administration is just... (laughs) What a nightmare. Yeah, absolutely. You know, know they say the thing about the broken clock, right, twice a day deal? Mm -hmm. Uh, Pelosi, she said something that was accurate in that intro. And, you know, it is rare not only to hear her say something accurate, but to hear her offer a comment that sounds lucid. You know, usually she stumbles <laughs> over absolutely everything she says, except for that one moment. Speaking of stumbling, did you see the police video yet huh? of her husband? Oh, yeah. Gee My whiz. God. Gee whiz. He, like, cleaned the bar out and got behind the wheel. Well, he's got, he's kind of has the, it must be like the Tiger Woods problem where you just have to keep driving. <laughs> he's like, I got to trade stocks all day with my wife's info. It's a tough life. <laughs> <laughs> it's a busy life. I got to take care of it. Well, you, listen, I was, so uh, I was out of town and I needed to get your, your thoughts on this. I was out of town. I was in Nantucket. Mm-hmm. Lovely place. Great, great spot. And I ran into a, a bunch of people that I hadn't met before. Great people. I mean, literally first-class people. Just had the time of my life. One of the guys introduced me to this new thing. I had no idea. Do you guys know how giraffes fight? No clue. No. No idea. I would like to know. Dude, Google this. I mean, literally YouTube this. They swing their fucking necks. They They just, like, neck fight? They swing their massive necks. And they like whap into into each other, right? The reason that I learned this is it was fairly late in the evening. <laughs> and a gentleman named Rob, who is just like this guy, is a first class guy, uh, asks a, a fellow bar uh, goer if he knows how how giraffes fight. And and this dude's like, well, what are you talking about? And Rob proceeds to swing his own neck. And slam it into the chest of another uh, gentleman. <laughs> this, this wasn't a breakfast conversation. <laughs> so the guy's like, what the fuck? I mean, it hit kind of hard, right? He's like, what's up? And he's like, no, no, seriously, that's how they do it. And it started this like hilarious conversation where it turns out there was like two or three people that listened to Ruthless there. And they were like, oh, yeah, you guys are great on animal fighting. You have to cover animal fighting. You've got a new one. I love the uh, reputation proceeds us up. They're like, hey. You know how this animal fights? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, oh man, the fellas are going to love this. I love, we can travel anywhere. And folks were like, hey, you're from the animal fighting show. Yeah. And like the most successful people on the planet. And this guy's like, no, no, no. Giraffes. You got to cover it. <laughs> like, I got it. I got them all over it. So there you go, Rob. There's, a, there's, the, there's the giraffe story. Uh, we have Chuck Morse on the program today. Uh, Ashbrook, you did that interview. Yeah, he, he really seems like a great guy. You know, New Hampshire lawmaker, but also a small businessman. Yeah. Grew up in the state. He's not an Ivy Leaguer. Uh, he gets us up and 
gets on his tractor every day. He's the kind of guy that I think deserves a look from a lot of voters, and it sounds like he's getting it. Yeah, well, it's, I mean, look, that that is, as you all recall, a very late primary. Republicans in the state tried to move it up. Yep. Sununu vetoed the thing. And it gives us basically a 45-day window up against an incumbent who has been raising money for three and a half years to try to defeat whoever it is we nominate in the last few weeks of this election. I mean, it's just like the worst For comparison's sake, that's the same way that New York City operates because it's like 90% Democrat. They know if they set it up like that. You can't beat an incumbent. I mean, you just can't do it. Yeah, he's running against Maggie Hassan in New Hampshire, who is just a complete wallflower, yes, man, for the Schumer regime, the Biden administration, and people in New Hampshire aren't having it. I think she's beatable. I think this is a seat we can pick up. I think, no, I think that's entirely right. She is absolutely horrible, right? But she's been up running ads that she's some, like, fiscal moderate. Right. Talking about, you know, how she is sort of like fighting against inflation, except for the fact that she's voted for literally every one of the Biden administration agenda items. Like, it it makes no sense in the world to me. It pisses me off. If there's one thing that really gets me going, it's New Hampshire politics right now. It just really makes me mad. I saw this tweet from Henry Rogers uh, where he says, well, this appeared in the New Hampshire Union Leader today. Just wow. And it's the the newspaper with a massive half-page ad saying, thank you, Senator Hassan, for blocking a measure to hire more border agents. Drug cartels need all the help they can get. Like, (laughs) anyway. That's clever. I mean, like, that's exactly what happens, is is if you're not for securing the border, you're allowing these criminals to just, you know, they're poisoning this country with fentanyl and, and human trafficking. Totally. And, and and to not take a stand, she needs to be held accountable. I uh, completely agree. I completely agree. So we have a sponsor today. And I got to tell you, it's the same sponsor that we had on Tuesday. Fellas, I listened to the program. I thought you did a nice job. It's the International Franchise Association. We'll talk more about, about that uh, set of issues here later in the program. But I was stunned to find out like how many of the listeners, you could see it on social media, were like super animated about this issue i i was stunned too and you know horse sense who is yeah, a, a big friend of the program. yeah friend of the program uh, organizes a conversation on tuesday and thursday nights where people break down their on thoughts clubhouse. on clubhouse show on clubhouse yeah. yeah and what he says to us is that there are people in this conversation from california who were not aware of the bill and we're very grateful that the variety program brought it to their attention and they're contacting their lawmakers right away well we'll get more into exactly what that is if you missed to tuesday's program because we'll cover it again but it is a big deal it's a really big deal basically socialists doing socialist things mm-hmm. um, they do but speaking of socialists doing socialist things let's start with this disaster that the biden administration rolled out yesterday on what they say is forgiving student loans yeah i mean so what i want to start with is is so uh front of the program matt whitlock had this great tweet where he said we got to stop calling it loan forgiveness or loan cancellation because that's not what it is nothing is getting canceled it's a debt transfer from people who agreed to a debt to people who did not yeah that's what it is that's what it is listen there's nothing that makes me this is this is so yeah it's one of the ones that really grind my gears because and if you notice there is this pattern amongst what Democrats, how they handle policy, is that 
you never actually work at the root problems to try to either reduce prices, make things more attainable, make them practical, try to improve your society. They just subsidize shitty things, mm-hmm. right? And so your liberal arts degree that isn't worth dick in a bucket once you get it is now is now subsidized by the federal government and your fellow taxpayers who made more practical decisions with their lives to provide their, for their families. I mean, that's basically the sum and substance of it, isn't it? I mean, there were people who, who were discouraged from, from, from going to college, who didn't want to accrue debt. And how is this fair to them at all? Let alone, so, to, so the fact that they are putting debt that they agreed to on the backs of taxpayers, and taxpayers are footing the bill, and all this encourages is a broken system to get more broken. We just saw the way that uh, the Biden administration passed this like inflation increasing act where they're like, we'll give a 7,500 tax credit towards an electric car. Oh, yeah, and they just turn and around and raise prices. All the prices go up by $7,500. Yeah. Well, if every college knows, hey, there's a free 10000 guess what tuition's going to be? Yeah. Today's price is plus 10000 That's uh, That's all that's, that's going to happen. A, yeah, that's but you exactly don't right. actually need to be an economics major to figure that shit out. You'd think that. You'd no, think you, that. you don't. If you look at, uh, by the way, if you look at college prices over the last 20 years, they've only like doubled and tripled. Yeah. I mean, they have gone up and up and up. And I don't know if you guys remember, there was a moment in the 2020, I don't have the audio, unfortunately, but there was a moment in the 2020 Democrat primary where this guy approached Elizabeth Warren about the- Oh, uh, I remember this, yeah. He he said, quote, I worked a double shift. Uh, What can, am I going to get my money back? I, 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 he said, I saved my money. And my daughter doesn't have student loans. Am I going to get my money back? And she said, of course not. She started laughing at him. She started laughing at the guy, and he was like, "You got to, you're laughing at me. We did this right, and we get screwed." And so I, it's it's just galling. Well, you would make an investment in your own life, right? And like, we have a lot of loan programs out there. There are a lot of grant programs out there. How, why is nobody talking to the university about why? How could it cost twenty five thousand dollars to go to a fucking state school? Yeah, like where where and where can you justify that kind of expense for? getting drunk and hanging out with your friends. Mm-hmm. I mean, to be honest with you, like I'm sure that there is amazing stuff going on at the nation's university. And the truth is, all it is is now is is, is uh, indoctrination camps, basically. Like every one of these like horrible ideas uh, that are coming out, this, you know, uh, this critical race theory, which is like the most racist yeah, like, that's- ideology that's come, at, that's come out since the Civil War is... It originally started at the universities, right? And and especially when you talk about like public schools who are getting subsidized by taxpayers to begin with, they've basically just set up shop with all these like PhDs who have these crazy ass woke ideas and want to teach it to kids and they want to keep jacking up prices for it because they know, well, they'll take out a loan and now they know, well, the government will pay it off. Dude, Cal Berkeley will not allow white students in common areas. These schools, That's just racist. It's just flat racist. These schools are out of control. They charge way too much money. It is not worth what these people are charging. You said $26,000, $26,000 for a state school. How about some of these no-name private schools that are like, oh, for a hundred grand, you can come in and learn about art. And it's just like, you gotta, you, we've got, what about the internet? You can, you can Google art for free. And you can come up with a better education than you could get at one of these schools. So like, it is, it is criminal what these schools charge people and they've never been held accountable it's time somebody does well i and i it discourages good behavior obviously 
it discourages people making decisions based upon how to be productive in life, essentially. Like you enter into a contract, you don't expect somebody to bail you out of it. You right. fulfill the contract. Right. Like that's the core of the way that this shit works. Right. Like you have to do your job. And what we've just decided, the Biden administration unilaterally is, no, you don't really have to do any of that. We'll bail you out of it because it makes sense for our, our political base. Yep. Right? That's it. And, and and but but if ever there was a policy that perfectly defined who today's democratic base is, it's this. It mm-hmm. is right. Like I heard a story on the way in here from a a, a friend of the program, who they, they, there's a friend of theirs uh, goes to an Ivy League school, took out a twenty thousand dollar loan for like a it's like a life you know I mean living student loan right okay. so they can pay their rent and things like that. Uh, but basically, they did it so they could travel through Europe on the summer, right? And they're like, yeah, this dude is super pumped because he's going to get the whole thing written off. Good. Mm. Like he's... He, and, just and, free, and like, a free trip? And that's basically what he just did, right? I mean, how in the world is that good policy? Well, it's not only is it bad policy, it might not be legal. Right. Did you guys see what he's technically doing to, to allow yeah, COVID. Yeah, exactly. The, the Department of Education issued a memo yesterday, so they were like, "You know what? We want it. We want to give ten thousand dollar checks to people. We need the Department of Education yeah. to write a memo. Write the memo. We'll give the ten thousand dollar checks." When it was OLC, me. right? The Office of Legal. Uh, it's in DOJ. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so those of you who don't know, DOJ has this sort of like quote unquote independent legal advice, and it's always super partisan. Right. Every time, well, at least every time Democrats have DOJ, it's a super partisan For organization. Democrats, it's very partisan. It just works to try to justify illegal acts, <laughs> essentially. Right. So they wrote a memo, as you're talking about, saying the best way to forgive student loans is to tie it to an emergency. And they looked back at like 2002 or something like that. No, 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 no. Post 9 11, right? No. Exactly. It is a 9-11 law. So they, they're literally using 9-11 for their political purposes. Quote, in connection with a, wa- a war or other military operation or national emergency. Close quote. I would like to point out to you guys that just this morning, Anthony Fauci said the pandemic is over. So the morning that Anthony Fauci himself said the pandemic is over, Joe Biden's government says, no, no, the pandemic is the reason that we need to You're get You're kidding. People. No, I'm not kidding you. I'm not kidding you. That is that is unbelievable. Not kidding. So now they've gotten to a point where, where they are justifying, what, it's got like $300 billion worth of, of well, spending. Well, that's the thing. So the uh, Wall Street Journal uh, had this article on this where um, it calls it an Inflation Expansion Act. It says the reports say Mr. Biden will cancel... 10,000 in debt for borrowers making 125,000 or less a year. That would cost about 300 billion this year, 330 billion over 10 years. This is according to the Penn Wharton budget model. Uh, that's far more than the 102 billion that, you know, he claims the Inflation Reduction Act purportedly reduces the deficit over 10 years starting in 2027. And about 70% of the loan relief would go to borrowers in the top 60% of income distribution. Like you said, that is the damn voter base right there. It's, it is. It's 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 the the coastal college educated with a worthless degree paper cohort. pushers. That's it. Fail sons. That's it. They, they just show up with no productivity in their entire lives. They do nothing for their community. They do nothing for anything. They go get more degrees than a thermometer. Make you pay for it. 
Fuck you. Honestly. I mean, I literally, I, there's a few things that make me this pissed off. Yeah. What? Honestly, it, it really scares me for the future of our country because it's created a generation of people who are even more entitled than the one before it. And the challenges that we face as a country are so great. I remember very clearly, I was standing next to my daughter and we were talking about the kids in her class and when she was like, hmm, you think China really might attack our country someday? And I was like, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, I hope not, but you never know. And she was like, well... The boys in my class are going to have to toughen up a lot if they're going to defend us from China. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I love that. Wow. I love that. No, it's true. I mean, it, it, it's an incredible generational difference that we are. These guys are unilaterally responsible for weakening this country. That's exactly yep. right. Like, I, I go to college. My parents are paying for college. I'm taking out a loan for college. I get a degree that's worthless, and I expect, you know what? You're going you're gonna to be paying me like somebody who's been working for five years. And I'm not going to show up to work because I have to tweet about uh, what I'm thinking, and I have to post an Instagram about what I'm eating. It is the worst generation. I know we have a lot of a lot of uh, a lot of listeners in that generation, but they're not. They well, you're gonna have to dra- listen. You're gonna have to drag your generation through it because there's an awful lot of people who are in the wrong spot. Smug, I wanted to bring this up because it's your hobby horse and it's mine. Yeah. If Democrats want to make college free, there's a way to do that. It is 100. There, there's they a way could, they could do it today. There's a way to do that. And how, how would you suggest doing that? They should just tax the endowments. These colleges are sitting on billions and billions of dollars. So I, Some of the biggest, like, you know, uh, hedge fund clients on earth are these colleges. Like, yep. like Harvard's endowment is, like, these are monster, massive. It's like We're talking billions. billion. Dollars. Yeah, a lot of money. I just looked in, uh, as I was flying in today, I was looking through the top, like, 50 endowments. Yeah. Right? Nuts. And just the top 50 I totaled like $400 billion. Yeah. $400 billion yep. in tax-free yeah. contributions to these schools like Harvard and Yale and whatever. Let's just take it. Let's just take it. I, I, 100%. Look, I'm the last guy on the face of the planet that's ever advocated for a tax increase. I fucking hate taxes. I can't believe that we have the tax policy that we do. If I was running things in the next administration, I'd just implement a flat tax. Like that's the way I would operate. There's one exception to that. University endowments. And the funny thing is I'd it's, take it's, the whole it's, thing. it's all the Ivy League people who graduate from there who are like, okay, we have to steal the wealth from everyone else. Exactly. And, 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 like and this then, administration is chock full of them. I, but they don't do anything. They don't use that to actually reduce well, tuition. No, no they raise not. tuition. They raise tuition, and then they sit on top of $75 billion, and they're like, oh, I don't know, you know, like rainy day fund, basically. Let people manage the money. It grows, it grows, it grows. And then there's ne- never any actual positive impact to society. Because be, let's be honest, like, you're going to Harvard. You don't have to worry about the $100,000 like student loan. Like, you'll figure it out. You'll pay that back pretty quickly if you wanted to. But if you are worried about it, if you want to make sure that people can get in to Harvard and be able to pay, well, let's just empty that sucker. Yeah. Huh? Let's just empty that sucker. Let's go, you know, get, Dude, I'll they, even they take sh- your elitist bullshit that you're the best institution in the country. Like, whatever. I think you learned nothing in that place. But if you did, let's just assume that they did. Let's go to every single community across this country, find the top 1% of, of kids, you give them that money from the endowment. And all of a sudden, you don't have a problem anymore. Yeah. Instead of asking them for a single dime, the Democrats are charging working people yeah. to pay for it. There was a study that showed that this this new proposal- yeah, It was by, like three uh, grand or something. Three, yeah, two, a little over two grand. 
yeah. working people who are already paying about ten grand more because price because of price increases. So they're going to go to work. They're going to go to plumbers. People who like actually went to like a trade school, did something with their lives, and are doing quite well. You know, or, yep. or you know, doing you know, they're doing well. Who are, who are actually they providing us something employed. to society, right. Right. right? Who have some use in humanity, right? And and the Democrats are taking it from them. Yep. Instead of taking it from these super rich billionaire endowments. See, that's what you need to understand about the Democrats today. Yep. Is that the, these are not people who actually seek equality or seek the ability to improve one's life. They really don't. It's stunning what, what to me. They, what they do is try to insulate their own constituencies from any of the world's problems, right? Teachers unions, Right. They don't want school choice. They certainly don't want anybody in underprivileged communities going to schools that can teach worth a lick. And they send all their kids to private. And then like they, they send their all their like kids they want, to private they, school. They want to be in their like walled garden and safe from society and then tinker with society from there. Yeah. They want everyone else to live with like the ramifications. They're like, defund the police shit. Like, well, I mean, I'm not in Minneapolis. You know, my house isn't getting set on fire. My business isn't getting set on fire. Well, like I'm, the, I'm on the, you know, like that I'm Corey Bush in lady, Harvard's office. And that, I'm fine. That Corey Bush lady, who, the the congresswoman from Missouri, who's like the leader of the defund the police crowd, spends like a hundred grand a quarter on or something like that on security, private security, yeah, private security for herself. But like every, anyone who can't afford that, well, good luck to you because I think the police should be defunded. I mean, that's the thing is they <laughs> never want to live. They have all these crazy ass ideas, which again come from the university system, and they want everyone else to live with the ramifications of their tinkering, but they want to be insulated from it. And their base is the billionaires and the corporations. You know, there's a reason that like uh, woke capital exists. Like their base now, the Democrats are not a party of the working people, or else you would not see something like this. Tim Scott had a great tweet where he said, "The richest 40% of Americans carry 60%." of student loan debt while the bottom 40% carry just 20%. Who's paying for this? Who's paying for this? The folks folks who actually work and and pay their debts and actually try to make something themselves instead of people who are waiting for a handout because they got, you know, a gender studies PhD and and turns out there's not a huge market for a gender studies PhD. You know, shout oh, out to my surprise. fellow state school mm. kids who like you got out of there and you scrapped and you figured it out. Mhm. You got a lot more grit than these kids who went to an Ivy League, and it's just like, oh, well, they got that on their resume, so it must mean they know something. Turns out they don't. They really don't know anything. And they couldn't make it on their own, and now they're all getting subsidized by us. It's just unfathomable policy. It is the it, it, it literally incentivizes every bad thing in our society. Everything. Not to mention what it does to inflation. Yeah. Right? At a time of record inflation, you're all of a sudden giving people 10 grand and then raising prices 10 grand on tuition? I mean, Jesus, it's just so, it's so bad. I, I, if this doesn't piss you off, like you need, to, you need to like recalibrate. Yeah. Right. As you said, like the red, red wave is not, con like you, you, you got to, it's something, what's your line? It's something. It, the, the, yeah. The red wave is not something that's happening. It's something we're doing. And like, this is another example. This is why we got to dig in. We got to fight and we got to make sure we take back the house. We take back the Senate and we hold, we, we, we got to hold these people accountable. If you want a country, anything like the one that you grew up in. It's this kind of shit that needs to absolutely stop. 100%. Um, all right, so I want to get into this IFA thing because you guys did a great job of talking about this on Tuesday, but it really is truly a, a unbelievable deal right in the line of everything we've been talking about. It's in California. It's called the Fast Recovery Act. 
I mean, fast recovery. This is it's incredible. Just, yeah, it's, it's like the Inflation Reduction Act. It's it's just all these guys. These guys name these bills the opposite of what they do. Yeah, I mean, so they've been trying to do this in all different places, and as you know, California is the laboratory for shitty progressive policy. Yeah. Right, everything that can actually ruin our country, they try out first in California, and it, it's always a disaster. Always, it's always a disaster. And in fact, the only reason that California, like, basically exists economically, is Silicon Valley. Yeah, mm-hmm. which you know they're trying to take that out too. Right, yeah. so I mean, it's like it is what it is. But but what they what they're trying to do is get thirteen political appointees of an unelected board to set wages for anyone working in basically a fast food restaurant or any kind of franchise. It's just such an insane such an insane idea. It's McDonald's, Dunkin' Donuts, Panera Bread, like anything that you can think of. It all the way down to small franchises, right? Mm-hmm. Like in California they have this place called Vitality Bowls or Mendocino Farms. I mean they're, they're like they're small. They only have like you know a few franchises. They're not McDonald's for crying out loud. But what they're trying to do is put this unelected board on top of all this stuff and tell them what it is that they can pay people, what it is, how they govern their entire businesses, and ultimately make the franchises themselves responsible for anything that they deem necessary. And that's the right? thing is I, it's important to point out to folks that like, you know, when you go to like a Chick-fil-A or whatever, it's a, it's owned by a franchise it's a, or a franchisee. It's owned yeah. by a person who decided to start a business. They're not a multinational corporation. Who like they got to make ends meet. Who like right. sponsors the local softball team or Bingo. baseball team, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, these are small business owners. They're not, they're not, they're, when you go to a McDonald's or you go to a Chick-fil-A, you're not going to Mr. Chick-fil-A's restaurant. You're going right. to a, a somebody in your community who put an awful lot of their own money in to get their restaurant franchised by one of these big chains. And when you buy a sandwich for $5, $6, whatever it costs in the Biden administration, the 5 or $6 doesn't go directly into the pocket of the guy that owns it. Right. There are an, just an inordinate amount of costs to running a small business. Democrats have no idea what it takes to run a small They don't even care. They don't care to know, to learn what it takes to run a small business and keep something afloat. And it's probably why they're pursuing something like this in and, California. And again, this is at a time when you've got food inflation right. just like skyrocketing, right? And so they want to put like their little socialist board together, the little Politburo, bring back the Soviet Union and be like, okay, comrades, we will set wages, right? And they think, again, this is just like the student loan situation where they have zero fundamental understanding of how the economy works. And they're thinking that like, well, if we say everyone should get paid $50 an hour, that money will just like fall down from a tree, you know, and it'll pay $50 an hour. <laughs> right? Right? And like, you know, you've seen across the country where frequently now you go to a fast food place, you probably have a gigantic iPad because the wages have gone up to the point that, and, and with inflation, the wages have gone up to the point that they can't have, you know, 40 people working there anymore. Now you're punching in your own order. What do you think is going to happen? When it goes up even more, if they can, if any of these franchises can even survive, when well, you've let a, a bunch of like woke socialists start deciding here's here's how you run your business, a bunch of people who have never run a business in their life have zero idea how the, the economy point. works. Mm-hmm. That's the point. None of these guys have an, any idea how to run so much as a lemonade stand, and they're trying to figure out how they can micromanage a, a, a business in California. 
and like this is this is a study from UC Riverside, which is like you know that's it's a California state school. This is not a bastion of conservatism by any stretch of the imagination. They say that it'll raise prices twenty yeah. percent for Californians. Is that what you need right now? No, and and there's another data point that shows seventy percent of everybody in California eat at restaurants that will be hit by this bill. Oh, this is incredible. So the, the, the real villain behind all this is the SEIU. Mm, is it really? Of course, yeah. of course, of course. Yeah. It's a, that, you know, the service employees. And that's how these insidious bastards, what they always try to do is just get their claws in government to force yeah. the, like, the taxpayer money to get emptied into their pockets. Well, that's what, and what they do. And this is, again, it goes back to our earlier point about how what, the only thing that Democrats actually do is try to service their constituents. Yeah. They don't give a shit about actually improving lives no. in this country. Not in the least. They try to take the people who just contribute 90 plus percent of their contribution dollars into their coffers and, and give them a business share. Like give them a little edge. Yep. Right? And so SEIU, who's like running the fight for 15 and all that stuff, is the one that's behind that because they know that they ultimately, if they get this done in California, that they basically just make unsolicited demands on behalf of whatever employees and then they just bankrupt every single one of these businesses. Yeah. I mean, it it, it just, it blows my mind that we're in this situation. If you need motivation right now as a conservative, you better get your fucking head checked. Yeah. You better get your head checked. These guys are coming for everything. And it's happening right now. I don't care if it's student loans. I don't. I, I don't care if it's if it's in California with this fast food bill. I, they're coming for everything, and you got to get involved. If you don't get involved, pretty soon you're going to wake up. It's going to look a lot like Russia. I mean, to be honest with you, that's what they're trying to accomplish. And that's the thing. So the Fast Recovery Act. Here's the thing for 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 folks in California. Everyone needs to pay close attention to this. It says the bill passed the assembly in January and out of committee on august 11th and it has to be voted on by august 31st in the california senate this bill's got to go the fast recovery act it's got to go it's basically it's just to destroy jobs and charge people more in an inflationary environment it's insane i can't imagine there's anybody who could give me a good answer on how this kind of thing makes sense i really it's just no it's by the way you mentioned the seiu they're talking about fighting for 15 15 bucks for people who are working seiu is a 300 million dollar organization so while they're telling you they're fighting for your paycheck, they're actually fighting for more money for their organization. Which the, they promptly f- fill back into progressive lawmakers yeah. who then run with bullshit like this. Right. You know? Oh, it's just incredible. And, and, and uh, so I want to make sure everyone in California and everyone can, can check this out. The website is HTTPS. Stop ab257.com that's stop ab257.com i mean it's got to go it's got to go it happen it's got to go and I, I really appreciate the international franchise association for flagging this stuff because it's not like the sexiest issue that people are are talking about on the front page of the newspaper but it's the kind of thing that changes lives in this country and opens the door to pure socialism yeah. and, and i would have had no idea it existed if they didn't reach totally out. i completely agree no it's it's i'm glad they did it um, all right, guys, I have to I have to talk to you about this because it's so good. I had another conversation in Nantucket. Okay. And these guys, this guy Steve in particular, was just a great dude I met at the bar. He had a, uh, he's like a, a politician draft of who you would invite to a party. Oh, okay. Right? If you had, if you I had think I know like, where this is going. Right? And, uh, and like, 
I'm like, oh, that's actually interesting. So I started thinking about domestic lawmakers and like who I would invite to a party, like who you're going to have a lot of fun with. And he goes, well, I mean, look, my number one overall draft pick, no question, is Sana Marin. Yeah. And I mean, so for those of you who are unfamiliar, it's Finland's prime minister. Oh, that's yeah. right. I, I wondered why that name sounded familiar. So she's she's Finland's prime minister. And if you haven't followed the news, like Google it now because it's worth your time. Uh, she's got, She's got all kinds of problems because she's a young attractive woman i don't i don't know she's 36 i think yeah uh running a you know world power like that's a pretty impressive deal but she also just not setting partying aside right she's doing whatever the hell it is that she wants to do and they've got so this is such a great story this is so awesome so like and the thing is is like i don't know if this is like the opposition party or something trying to like slow leak you know they're trying to like drip 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 of like first there's a video of her like raging at a party you know slamming beers and then they're like three four days later they're like also at this party there's two topless women kissing right and there's like a photo of it and like how awful like do they think this is gonna be like a way to give her sauna's <laughs> power is risen yeah. across the yeah. world like I, I really want to see some like polling now on like favorability uh so this story look, they, the ap the ap has written about this. the associated they, press the, yeah the esteemed associated press <laughs> They say the leaks have triggered a debate among Finns about what level of reveling is appropriate for a prime minister, <laughs> especially considering neighboring Russia's attack on Ukraine, which prompted long-neutral Finland and Sweden to apply for NATO membership. <laughs> I mean, what is so amazing is that so, so there's a bunch of pictures and videos of, of the prime minister having the time of her life, doing what like a... a you know, a well-situated thirty single thirty-something would, would be doing. Yeah, that's my understanding. <laughs> that's my understanding. Well, I'm not sure that Joe Biden has invited her to the White House yet. I think we can feel reasonably <laughs> confident that Bill Clinton would have already had her. In <laughs> she would have. This is. A, she would have had several state visits. I mean, I mean, by McDaniel now, pulled, I believe. Discuss NATO. Feel matters. like Trump would have made it happen too. Trump frankly, probably would have. McDaniel pulled these bullets from from the AP article, which is so hilarious, so hilarious. Trying to like a you know reporters trying to talk about what a party is like is amazing because so they've never been invited. No one likes to hang out with the journo. <laughs> it says in a leaked video, Finland's prime minister Sanna Marin is seen dancing and singing with friends at a private party. The 36 year old leader poses for the camera. She sits on her knees, hands behind her head. She's entangled in a group hug. She's having a good time. <laughs> <laughs> In case, you couldn't for the tell by the, in case you couldn't tell by the smile on her face in the photo. <laughs> <laughs> so, but there's video. So the video leaks and it's like, you know, it's got naked people in it. She's now since apologized for the second time in a week over, apparently the topless women are what uh, threw it over the top in Finland. Again, like to your point, Smug, I feel like... Today's society, I don't know what it's like in Finland, but I'm not sure that does the trick on trying to topple a world leader, yeah, right? Yeah, that's, that's, I, I, I really, I, I would love to see some polling done on this because there's no way in hell voters have a problem with it. <laughs> I mean, she looks like she knows how to party. I mean, she just likes to party. I mean, that's it, right? <laughs> she likes to party. Her and Demi Lovato. There you go. Well, they did get a reaction from her. Did you guys see the reaction, the Mm-mm. quote? No. She said, quote, I think the picture is not appropriate. I apologize for it. No, don't you dare. 
Such a picture should not have been taken, Marin said. Not uh, it, well. They take it well. She look and she's precise with her language. Yeah, I like that. It's the not photo the, should not have been taken. She did nothing wrong. The event wasn't the problem. Sometimes they're just at a party and folks are raging it. Well, you it, don't. The photo should not be taken. But you 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 you, you invite some asshole who has. You know what happened? Is I bet someone made the mistake of inviting a journal. There and, it is. And all they do whenever they show up is they ruin everything. You there know? it is. Everyone's having a great time. Clearly, there's been a few parties. Everyone has a great time, but it's the ones that the journals show up to. You also need to lay the ground rules up front, right? Yeah. You're like, hey, fellas, listen, no pictures today. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I was fortunate to I think she made a mistake here. I was fortunate to no live pictures. in an age when, like, you know, I was, I was doing troublesome youngster things. No cameras exist, you know? So yeah, it's just I know. Like, I feel so grateful for that. <laughs> Thank God. Like, there's no photos of me taking a keg stand looking like an idiot. Oh. Don't exist. I'm not sure they don't <laughs> exist. <laughs> I feel like Smash can figure that out. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like Smash can figure that out. Um, all right, so we want to talk a little bit about the red wave, and there's been a lot of talk back and forth. Like, everybody's... You know what aggravates me is that there's so much internal consternation every time the media settles on a narrative. In the last three weeks, the narrative has been that abortion is fundamentally reconstituted what this election was, right? That it went from a red wave to maybe even Democratic advantage because of the issue of abortion. And nobody's done any historical analysis on any of that to figure out the like 2014, 2018, 2010, all the midterms that we've had in the last 20 years have basically all subscribed to the same theory where your, your August is a very difficult position for Republicans in large part because Voters don't tune into the issues until post-Labor Day. Right. Right? And and the polling, as we've talked about several times on this, it, it, the national environment doesn't catch up to ballot questions until relatively late in the cycle in midterms. Right. Because not everybody's engaged the same way that they are in presidential elections. The bigger problem with this over, over this year is that Democrats have also had a five-to-one spending advantage over the last 60 days. That makes a difference. Right? So you're looking at this through a prism of historical standards of Republicans lagging behind Democrats in, in the month of August going into a midterm. And then you add five to one spending on top of it. And all of a sudden you jump to conclusions that like Democrats are going to win. Right. Right? The thing that bothers me the most, though, is that you get the people on our side who are super happy to jump ship. Mm -hmm. and start pointing fingers mm -hmm. and start talking about how... Shooting internally. Yeah. Well, it's just like they don't know what, what they're talking about, right. but they're but they're ultimately like ready to blame somebody for all of this. Mm -hmm. And like you said, what's your line? The red wave is not something that's just happening. It's something we're doing. It's something we're doing. And the most important time to do it starts in about 10 days. Mm -hmm. Right. Right? And it pushes through the end of the election. We make it happen, and we're gonna make it happen. But like, not if you just sit around. And you're like, oh, oh no, like uh, this. This politician is so disappointing on my own side. So I'm not gonna focus at all on the fact that the president of the United States is trying to socialize our fucking country and ruin our economy in the last 30 days. Like, why would you not focus on that? Like, that's what you have to be focused on. And I, if you have a motivation problem to get involved in this election, like, don't be a Republican. Go do something else. Go the, go the, play checkers. Go do whatever. The thing is that right now we've got our candidates. You know, we've got our, our Senate candidates. we got Blake. we got J.D. 
we got Oz, we got Herschel, we got people who are out there and ready to roll. We, we got our team, and now we got to just get them over the finish line. That's what it is, and it's going to take everyone working together to make that happen, right? Dems, you know, their fundraising advantage when you've got the entire media pushing it, right? The the, the messaging, like the, the, the tax on Oz to begin with, have been just completely despicable. The way that they've been covering for Fetterman, um, but oh, that's they, co- the, they cover for Fetterman. But that's day. the thing is, our side is a now it's a, our side is a grassroots party. Ours is a bottom up party. Theirs is a top down. Situation. Can I make a and, wild prediction? Sure. Wild prediction. Please. Oz will be a United States senator in January of 2023. That is a great prediction. I think so. He will be a United States senator in January of 2023 because he's smart, he's good, he gets it, he's good on the issues. The Republican base is going to come back together in a post-Labor Day environment when you understand what it is that the Democrats are doing here. And then if you look at when the light, when the Clegg lights come on in the final weeks of the election, you got one candidate who literally can't make it to the stage if you want to do, physically, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Physically can't make right. it to the stage, cannot discuss things in public. Right. That's the guy you want representing you in Washington? Right. That's I, the guy? I don't think that And then works. the other guy is literally a made-for-TV personality who's smart as hell on all of this stuff. Who's done literally it, wrote the book on like open-heart surgery. <laughs> done it on his in his life... And is actually super motivational. If you sit and listen to Oz, the only conclusion that you come away with is that, like, man, this guy really understands the American dream in a way that I wish most Americans right. actually did. Right. You know. And uh, but s- separately from Pen- I, I, I don't disagree with you on Pennsylvania. I think that we've got a lot of great opportunity there. But separately from that, if you're looking map wide and you're looking at what's being written by the mainstream media, and if they're writing about Republican infighting, you need to ask yourself, is the mainstream media concerned with Republicans' ability to take the majority? Do they want us to win or do they want us to lose? Mm -hmm. And when they ask you questions that lead you to shoot inward, you need to think to yourself, should I take the bait or should we try to win? Republicans will always have disagreements internally. Everybody has disagreements internally. The reality is we have a wonderful chance to be able to take the majority in both the House and the Senate and change this country for the better. Stop Democrats in their tracks from doing these bullshit things that are ruining our lives, that are raising prices and doing everything that could possibly think of to put our country behind. Put all of our differences aside and win this election. I completely agree. And like the the last thing I'll say on it, it's a little bit controversial, but I've had, since I've been in this line of work, I've basically come to the conclusion that there's basically only two professions on this planet that everyone who is a fan, observer, or follower of believes that they can do better than the practitioners of the field. And it's like a coach of a professional sports team or a significant college sports team, right? And a politician. No, that's right. And political professionals, right? It's like somehow you read the news and you have a better understanding of what people are trying to do than the people who've had success to the point where they've risen to the absolute top in their career, right? Right. So, like, I know there's been much that's made of the McConnell comments about candidates and donors and everybody getting engaged. Maybe. Just maybe. He knows what he's talking about. Maybe he's trying to provide motivation for people to get in the game here. 
maybe he understands that this has been a tough summer and that he understands that if people are going to focus their attention, someone needs to say, focus it, focus it, and talk to the people, both the donors and the candidates, who it's ultimately up to to try to drag this thing across the finish line. Maybe it's not a mistake, right? No, you're, and like, you're, you're exactly right. Focus is the most powerful word you, in the English language. And if you think that's a, that's a, that's a familiar line, but... I, I guess my problem is is that everyone is so eager to try to figure out who to blame for a loss that they've lost sight of the fact that a victory is very attainable. Yeah. Right? And you just have to go out and get it done. And, like, I remember in 2014 when people were calling, like, Tom Cotton a bad candidate. Right? They were, they were saying, like, you know, that Tom Tillis wasn't going to work. Or, you know, that that Ben Sass was somehow a difficult thing for the Republican Party or like he couldn't possibly win in a state like Nebraska. I mean, I, I remember every single Senate sitting senator who has won re-election since 2014, them calling a bad candidate and them saying like they're not going to work. Well, they put it together in the final 60 days and they've done it for the rest of their career. I'm totally convinced that these Senate candidates can figure it out. And these House candidates can figure it out. And and like I looked at the Cook political report today, and they're like, well, we said, you know, we thought maybe it's a thirty-plus seat margin that Republicans would win. We've downgraded it to ten. Well, you've heard them on this program. You've heard many of the competitive seats interviewed on this program. Hear another one today. Did they strike you as people who don't know what they're talking about? Nope. They don't. They strike you as people who actually have incredible real-world experience that would never do something like forgive student loans in the middle of a inflationary situation and ruin our economy in the process. Like, they're not. They're and, good. And I think that really helps is because the focus is going to go right back to Biden where it needs to be because that's what this election is about. That's what every midterm is about is are the folks in charge deserving to continue at what they're doing. Breach. And it's absolutely not that case right now. They do not deserve that chance to continue this destructive policies that they've put in place. That's what this election is about. It's about Joe Biden. Yep. It's about Joe Biden. That's that's who we're against in this election. And Democrats and the liberal media know that. And okay, they, exactly. do, they do not want because that they, to be the topic of conversation. They do not want anyone talking about Joe Biden. The guy is like not. on vacation on the anniversary of 13 service yeah. members being killed in Afghanistan because of his disastrous withdrawal. You will not see that headline yeah. anywhere. Well, you know, the other thing you will not see is Joe Biden out in public on a regular basis. They will keep him in the basement as much as they can. They just, did it before. Just like they did when he was running for president. And they will hope that Republicans try to settle their differences before the election rather than settling them afterward. Mm, Let us yeah. not give in to the liberal media. Don't take the bait. Don't take the bait. Settle our differences after the election. Let's win first. Absolutely. I love that. That's I love the message. It. Listen, I think that's a good way to wrap this and go to our interview. To be honest with you, like it, this is a, a, a very important Senate seat. I'm glad you did this interview because it's been lost in the shuffle a little bit, but we got to bring it up. I want to welcome to the program a very special guest. He's running for the U.S. Senate from New Hampshire. Chuck Morris, I can't thank you enough for joining us today. Oh, thanks for having me. Chuck, you're running in a Senate race that just has not gotten enough national attention. I got to be honest. It's like people around the country forgot Maggie Hassan happens to be one of the most vulnerable Democrats on the map. Well, I mean, let's face it. 
you know, everybody in Washington thought that Governor Sununu was going to be the person. So um, here I am. We've been running pretty hard now, you know, since January. And I think we're making a lot of headway here in New Hampshire. And I think nationally they're starting to recognize us. Yeah, well, that's great to hear. And uh, and we'll get into um, Senator Hassan in a few minutes. But first, I want to hear a little bit more about your background, because you're a small business guy. And while you currently run a garden center and nursery, you didn't start there. And I understand your family faced its share of challenges when you were growing up. Yeah, my dad was a veteran and he was uh, almost 100 percent deaf. So um, those were challenges, you know, that my mom and dad faced. And their marriage didn't last too long. So when I was very young, they got divorced and, you know, mom took over the family. But I tell everybody, you know, mom was real strong and she made sure that the children were real strong. And there were a lot of things that happened that I, I think kind of, uh, if I if, if you looked at my mom, you know, to make sure that there was something under the Christmas tree to make extra money, she'd go pluck turkeys. So um, she really was a strong-willed woman. And she uh, certainly got me into my first job, which was cleaning the church. Um, but I had to do that. I wanted to play hockey. And in order to play, I had to pay for it. And that's how I got there. But we've done a lot along the way. And I, I think the public around here appreciates it because when I got going and all of that, I, I really wanted to go to college. And I, in order to pay for it, you know, I took the usual jobs that every local kid takes with Kmart. And, you know, we have, we have a local grocery store that I worked for, but I did those. There were some trying moments, you know, going to school nights isn't easy. Um, we certainly uh, had a tough time paying, but once I got through a certain phase of that, it was more about, I was going to college full time one way or the other. And I did that and I got to college and that's actually where I met up with my wife, Susan. Um, she grew up in the same community with me, but you know, I got to college and um, she didn't pay attention to me there either, but um, <laughs> we, uh, when I got out of college, I went to work in the nursery industry. And once I did, I knew what my passion was. And I, I actually went out and built my own, um, met back up with Susan and got married. And, you know, we took on a ton of debt, like everybody that's building a small business. Um, you know, I had to sign on the dotted line on just about everything. Um, I signed the paycheck front and back and we made things work. And, once that happened, uh, you know, as we are part of this community down here in southern New Hampshire, um, I started serving on local boards. I mean, I served on the Boys and Girls Club board. It's kind of a passion of mine. I served on a local nursing home board. Um, and in New Hampshire, once you start serving, they just tap you on the shoulder to get into politics. And that was the start because I started as a local selectman. And then I was encouraged to get up to Concord. We had a highway expansion that needed to happen in this state. And another governor, Sununu's father, tried to make that happen back in the 80s. And I was determined to get it done. So I ran as a rep and I worked my tail off. It took us 22 years to get it permitted and built, but I got it done. And then I went to the New Hampshire Senate, which um, my whole goal there was I, I thought New Hampshire was kind of getting away from, you know, personal responsibility. And they certainly started to tax, which I didn't believe in at all. Um, so I went into the New Hampshire Senate, and I've been the longest-serving Senate president in the state's history. Um, eight years as Senate president in New Hampshire. Um, everybody knows they only pay me 125 bucks a year, so you, uh, you actually have to keep a job back home, too. But um, Senate president's a full-time job, and 
we've accomplished an awful, an awful lot in this state. I mean, working with Governor Sununu, um, look, I'm passionate about the fact that we drove down taxes, whether it was business taxes or the interest and dividends tax. Um, we've done a lot, and we've made this economy the envy of the Northeast and maybe the nation, quite honestly. That's, that's how hard we've worked on these issues up here. But even with all your responsibilities in the state Senate, you're still starting every day on a tractor? Oh, yeah, I still operate that tractor. I mean, I, I usually come in here four or five in the morning now because this campaign is taking its toll on the other end of the day. But um, I still come in here to uh, do my job. And I certainly still love to do the financial part of this company. So I spend a lot of time doing that. Well, I mean, you are, um, you know, as well as anybody that the nursery business, landscaping business isn't exactly full of cushy desk jobs. Um, you know, you, you really got to grind to earn that paycheck every week. And I got to tell you, Democrats and these big government types just don't seem to understand the needs of working people and small businesses. And I'm sure you notice that, too. Yeah, I think it's pretty obvious they don't get what we're going through right now. I mean, <clears throat> excuse me, but they... They have they haven't you know figured out that everything they're doing down there right now is having an effect on small businesses like my own. Um, this inflation is real in New Hampshire. I mean, we're paying for diesel. You know, we're paying to fuel our vehicles. Um, we've had to help a few employees. You know, that travel a long way to get to our company um, every day, and it, it's it's a real thing. And the Democrats don't get that, and they certainly aren't listening to the people in New Hampshire because. You can go to any gas pump and you're going to hear someone talking about the price of fuel. Um, only the Democrats can tell you, you know, when fuel drops down a few cents that, you know, you're getting a deal. Um, it's still high up here. Um, you know, our average, I think, was 402 the other day. And it's just not something people can continue to afford. Well, let's talk a little bit more about your record of service for New Hampshire. You mentioned that um, as a leader in the state Senate, uh, you stopped Democrats from raising taxes. And um, you also uh, wrote a conservative budget. Um, and as you know, Maggie Hassan has voted to raise taxes and spent federal dollars so liberally that we're all suffering the consequences through this record inflation. And that seems like the sort of contrast Democrats would like to avoid. Well, I'm sure they'd like to avoid it. Maggie would like to avoid it. You know, when she was a state senator, um, she raised taxes and fees 100 times. Uh, then she went on to be governor. And I put a budget in front of her in 2015 with the speaker that for the first time we were cutting the business taxes in New Hampshire because we were the 47th highest in the nation. And that's in New Hampshire. No one would have believed it. So I put it before her and she said I personally was going to blow the economy up in New Hampshire and it was going to cost the state $90 million. So the speaker and I went out and we traveled the state of New Hampshire that summer and we got Republicans and Democrats to come back into session in September and we overrode her veto and she had nothing to do with making that happen. It was us that went out and proved to the public that we funded things properly and Cutting business taxes was going to drive the economy in this state, and it has, and it worked. And, you know, that budget ended up turning out to be $60 million to the good. So Maggie got it wrong then, too. So when it comes to stopping Maggie Haston from making things worse for our country, you've, you've got an extensive experience. 
oh, I've got experience, but right now Washington's pouring it on. I mean, every time I turn a corner there, borrowing more money and driving up this inflation. I mean, the latest thing talking about colleges and forgiving debt, um, that's an insult to every American. But, you know, it's a real insult to my family where my wife and I both worked to pay our own debt off. And then we felt like the best thing we could do in life was deliver an education to our own daughter. And we did. Yeah, well, that's just fantastic. I mean, I mean, if if you you look at Maggie Hassan, I mean, and you look at the polls, there's a there's a new St. Anselm College poll out that found that her approval is at 44 percent. Uh, that's not too good. It's pr- pretty easy to see why it's so low. That sh- sure sounds like a beatable incumbent to me. Oh, Maggie Hassan's beatable. I mean, I don't know the last time she showed up in New Hampshire to talk to the people directly. Um, she really doesn't do that. And I think the public's get, had enough of her. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the thing with with Maggie Hassan um, and you you said it yourself, but she's basically unrecognizable to most people outside of her own Senate office. And she is one of the most generic figures in the Democratic Party. And that may have worked for her in the past, but now people want answers. And, you know, nobody ever wondered whether she might oppose any of these gigantic spending bills Democrats passed. Everybody just assumed she would salute party leadership and say yes, which seems like a real problem to me and something um, tells me New Hampshire likes a little more independence out of their elected representatives. Oh, I think they want a lot more independence. I mean, let's face it, you know, Maggie will tell you in one breath that she wants to build the wall, but yet they open the border and what New Hampshire's facing with all these drugs that are coming up, you know, with fentanyl and everything is awful. And Maggie's not listening to the people up here that we got a real problem. And we're not sure about all those people that are coming over the border, where they're heading. So we got that issue. And then she obviously supported the president all the way with this, you know, new energy deal that they wanted to put in. Um, She's made it rough on all the people here. You know, we depend on oil up in this area. And when oil is going to be up around seven, eight or nine dollars a gallon this fall, um, that's going to hurt a lot of people up here. Yeah, because it's not getting any warmer uh, toward the end of the year. I mean, it's going to get very expensive for people trying to heat their homes this winter. Yeah, I mean, we're seeing that in the legislature. We're actually, you know, we're in a legislature that actually by lowering taxes and driving the economy, we put $250 million away. In a state like ours, we had to take the cap off the bank account to fill it. And we did it because we knew we'd have challenges coming you know, and, you know, they don't want to talk about a recession, but we're prepared for it. And we can do things to make sure we help the citizens. But we also took in 400 million more in revenue in New Hampshire. You know, it looks nothing like what the federal government's doing right now. Well, Chuck, clearly you are a guy who's earned everything you have the hard way. And it sounds like you're taking the same approach to gathering votes for this election, including what some people are calling an unprecedented grassroots effort to knock doors. Um, I'm guessing personal contact still means something in New Hampshire. Oh, they mean everything. I mean, we're not only knocking doors, we're making telephone calls. We're doing everything we have to. We're out talking to the people every day. I, you know, I'm blessed right now. I've got a daughter and a wife that are hundred percent behind making sure Maggie Hassan's going back to be a lawyer and done with this U S Senate job. 
Um, and that actually is how New Hampshire works. And I'm, I'm really proud of the fact that we're driving this one. So what are, you, what are you guys hearing most at the doors and on the phones? Is it mostly the economy? Is it crime? Is it the border? You mentioned the border. Yeah, what we're hearing most when we're knocking on doors is the economy. I mean, people are scared to death. I mean, they know about these increases that, you know, you talk about and everyone else talks about at the grocery store. Uh, the same with the gas tank. I, I mean, it, it's pretty obvious everywhere what's going on with that. And, and people are talking about it, but they're nervous because what's yet to come in New Hampshire is heating oil. And I think people are scared of that because... We just got hit pretty good with electric rates in New Hampshire. Um, you know, she's done nothing to make sure that we have sources of energy getting up here. And I really think it's starting to show up, you know, that the people have had enough. What do you think, uh, Chuck? Um, I, I mean, I know that New Hampshire is a state where people uh, often vote for the, the person over the party. I mean, are you noticing Democrats and independents starting to scratch their heads and and move away from her a little bit? Look, as a Senate president, you don't get elected Senate president for eight years unless you figure out how to get things done in the state of New Hampshire. I have a lot of respect from Democrats, independents and Republicans in this state because I work hard. That's what people say when they're talking about Chuck Morse is that he's dedicated to whatever he does. I mean, in between all of this, back in 2016, Governor Sununu asked me to get involved with water because he was scared to death of what was going on in Flint, Michigan. And he wanted to make sure we got it right in New Hampshire. I've spent six years making sure that we work on public water up here in New Hampshire. You know, these are things that Maggie can't talk about because she's not doing things that are affecting the lives of our citizens in a positive way. Yeah, she really, um, you know, to be honest with you, uh, she really doesn't seem to even have uh, support among Democrats the way that um, Jean Shaheen does, uh, or other Democrats I've heard about in the state. I mean, her her support seems so shallow, surprisingly shallow, and maybe even more shallow than any other Senate incumbent um, I've I've looked at this year um and that that cannot bode well for her chances no and i and i think that's what people are talking about up here i think basically when they've tried to reach her office they don't answer the phone and they certainly don't answer people's questions um we hear that all the time from people in new hampshire that are fighting for things that they need to have here in this state and maggie's not there to answer the phone yeah I mean, that is that is just a bad, bad look, especially at a time when people um, are expecting answers out of out of Washington. And she's making things worse. You know, she's spent the last six years uh, making inflation worse, uh, driving gas prices up, driving oil prices up, uh, expenses for small businesses, uh, adding regulations. And, and she and she won't even answer for it. I mean, that just sounds to me like a recipe for disaster for her. Oh, I think it is. And I think every day she plays a commercial up here, people are seeing through her. You know, she she claimed she was going to fight for the public and, you know, get rid of the federal gas tax just till election day, though. Um, and she didn't get that done, but she sure as hell did vote for another petroleum tax when she voted for that bill two weeks ago in Washington. Um, the people are going to remember that she did that because they're going to be paying for that this fall.
Yeah. And, and you got to think, I mean, you're someone with experience uh, in a legislature. Um, you got to think she could have demanded more from her party. You look at Joe Manchin, you look at Kirsten Cinema. they seem to be getting more out of their party leadership. And Maggie Hassan has got empty pockets. Yeah. I mean, you know, for a long time there, we talked about Joe Manchin being the 51st vote in the nation that mattered. Um, I think what he did a couple of weeks ago was wrong. But, you know, Maggie could have done that. You know, Maggie did, delivered an infrastructure bill, right, that she came up here and said she was so proud of delivering, you know, an infrastructure bill to the citizens of New Hampshire. Yet when it came to paving roads, you know, we were 51st in the nation in that bill. I mean, Washington, D.C. got more money than we got in New Hampshire. You got to be kidding. No, no. And she took credit for it. So um, God bless her when we get into this election after the 13th of September. Man, oh, man, that is I mean, it sounds like it sounds like we're setting up for a real barn burner. And and I got to be honest with you, the um, this this is a seat that Republicans could really use. You know, I mean, just looking. It's obviously very important to New Hampshire, but if you look around the country, it's very important to the country that that Republicans have a chance to take a majority, have a chance to have somebody who is actually speaking uh, for small businesses and and working people in the Senate. Yeah, I do think it's that small business, hardworking attitude that is what Washington needs right now. I think they need a little bit of what New Hampshire is doing right back here right now, too. Um, you know, let's start budgeting. Let's let's start living within our means. I mean, we constantly hear say no to an income and a sales tax. It's never going to happen in this state because it's wrong for this state. We believe in limited government. Let's get Washington to start thinking like that. Yeah, I mean, we we really need to. And, you know, it, it always it always blows my mind that Democrats seem to resist this so much, or at least the, the national Democrats in D.C. just just resist Everyone who says, hey, why don't you try something different? Why don't you not spend so much? Why don't you why don't you not raise our taxes? And they just do it anyway. And I just it it just it boggles the mind why they why they continue to do that. Well, I, I think they've made it very clear they're not gonna stop. I mean, this forgiving college, you know, loans right now, they it, that's just an insult. You know, three hundred billion dollars and they're going to just compound everything now when they just passed the bill that they said was going to help with inflation and they're continuing to spend. Um, they got to wake up down there. We're going to give them that wake up call in New Hampshire. Um, we're going to win on November 8th. Yeah. Well, I love that optimism. Uh, I just, I, I really love it. Uh, Chuck, I got three questions for you that we ask every guest on the show and they're very difficult. So I'm going to have to ask you to listen uh, extremely carefully. <laughs> Uh, if if you got to choose your last meal on earth, what would it be? Yeah, this one's very easy for a guy like me. It's corned beef and cabbage. <laughs> you thought about that. I, I put on a great event every year and you know, everybody comes to it and it I probably eat it for four days straight. Oh man, I I, I gotta be honest with you, I love corned beef and cabbage. I mean it is so good. Yeah, no, that's me. Is it something you guys? Is it something you guys make at the house, or is that is there like a restaurant that's famous for it up there? Oh God, no! My wife hates the fact that I eat Colombian and cabbage, but she goes <laughs> out with me for three or four days because I go to a whole bunch of different places to get it, and uh, I, you know I really do 
it, it, it's kind of the spirit that goes along with the food. You know, I, I, I do it every year and it's, it's just the way we are. Yeah. Well, okay. Uh, all right. Next question. If you hadn't gotten into public service and you hadn't gone into business, um, Chuck, if you, if you could have any, any dream job in this world, um, that you, you could possibly imagine what, what would that be? And I'll tell you, Ted Cruz said that he was going to play in the NBA. So you can, you can really say whatever you want here, but, um, but what, what would it be? No, I, you know, I, to be honest with you, I, I took my dream job and I, I made it into something pretty special up here. I, if I could go back and operate a Bobcat and, and run this nursery, like I used to, you know, I got a lot of great people working for me, but I'd really love to be in the nursery and garden center business and running this farm right now. Yeah. Well, and that, that's, that's fantastic. You know, my father-in-law is in landscaping and I know that, um, there is a lot, there's a lot of moving parts in a job like that. And you often find yourself cutting grass and, and uh, running a skid steer more often than other people might, might know. Oh yeah, that was me. It's uh, that's how I started the business. It's, um, you know, I used to work pretty hard in the landscaping side of it. We don't do that anymore though. We've, uh, we've gotten a little bigger than that. Well, Chuck, the final question is about what motivates you. And here at the Variety Program, we find that people break down generally into one of two camps, the thrill of victory or the agony of defeat. And just to explain this a little bit, the people motivated by the thrill of victory are usually the sunny optimists, glass half full type who, um, you know, look forward to celebrating a win. The agony of defeat people are typically uh, that person who wears every every one of life's setbacks um, like a backpack. And, and all of those lessons sort of push them out of fear of what might happen if they come up short. So uh, what motivates Chuck Morse, the thrill of victory or the agony of defeat? Yeah, I think I have to say on that one, it's the thrill of victory, yeah. um, especially right now in my life. I mean, yeah. I'm really working pretty hard to make that thrill happen. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. That's really great. Yeah. All right, Chuck, before I let you go, um, I got to ask you to tell our listeners what they can do if they want to learn more about your campaign or help you out. Sure. If, they, if they're so inclined to do so, which we're hoping for the whole nation to participate in New Hampshire, it's Chuck Morse for NH.com. If they go there, I think they can see what I'm all about and, we could uh, use the nation's support in this race because we will be the 51st vote in the nation. Well, that's, that's great, Chuck. Chuck Morse at NH.com. Um, people, I encourage people to check it out. Um, and Chuck, thanks again for, for coming on the show today. Can't thank you enough for, for joining us. Well, you guys are great. I'm getting to hear you more and more as I drive around with the young people in the car. Um, they play your podcast all the time. So thank you for having me. Yeah, well, thanks a lot. Take care, Chuck. All right, take care. Well, listen, Chuck Morse is a great, uh, a great interview. Very interesting guy. He's obviously got a, a background um, that is worth reading a little bit more about. And I think this is someone who can beat Maggie Hassan. We'll find out. Uh, September thirteenth is the primary date in New Hampshire, as we said before. It's a late yeah. And there's primary. like three or four candidates there. Look, look, look at everybody. Obviously, you've got his. Full discussion here on which, which right. by the way, we've done a really good job at this. In my, if I don't, 
Outstanding work. Mind saying so. Outstanding work. Like, I feel like we've given everybody long-form interviews with people that they're ultimately considering voting for. Yeah. And you can tell a lot. Right. You can and that's really the thing tell is a like, lot. Because you don't get that anywhere else. Yeah. Like, the, it's not in the mainstream media's interest to let the people hear what our Republican candidates are like because they'll win. That's why the media <laughs> right. actually right. does not want our message getting through. No, that's right. So it's, true. A, it's a great point. And I mean, to that point... Uh, he was endorsed by a paper in New Hampshire, and they did an Ed Board meeting with him. And I've got to be honest with you: the questions. I'm not. I'm not trying to disparage New Hampshire reporters. No, the you're question, very good at not disparaging reporters. The questions they asked him were just terrible. <laughs> it was like they hadn't prepared at all, and it was like they were talking to some junior editor at the New York Times, hoping that they would make pay attention. And it's like. Just talk to the people, you know. Just yeah. just find out what motivates them. Find out why they're interested in office. They're gonna they're and gonna how tell you can you. represent their interests, right. which, the by thing. the way, are not electric cars made in fucking China. Yeah, right. which is where the Democratic Party is right now. Right, right. Yeah, I love it. Well, listen, I think we may have gotten it done here, fellas. I think we did. An outstanding work, Ashbrook. Outstanding work, all of us. Honestly, absolute banger of a show, if I may say so myself. And once again, thank you so much to our listeners. So until next time, minions, keep the faith, hold the line, and own the libs. We'll see you on Tuesday. Stay ruthless.